Well, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Uh, the the film Silk Road, of course, is based on on true events, um, but you've also added a little bit of lightness to it. It's not just a uh, you know a cops after some guy uh, film. It's very human. Uh, was that from the get go? Did you want that kind of feeling? Well, I think, you know, for me, I'm interested in um, characters that have a strong internal conflict. Um, and, and I think it's, it's whenever you can, it's great to inject some levity into, into these crime stories, right? Because you're taking people into a dark universe where people are doing, you know, sometimes reprehensible deeds. And so wherever you can leaven it with a laugh, I think, uh, you know, it, it's a win. And, and, but I guess, more than the laugh. I think for me, it's about the humanity of the characters because um, all of them are people that are fascinating to me in some fundamental way. Um, and it's precisely those internal conflicts and the turmoil uh, that, that makes them most compelling for me. Yeah. And I, I never want to compare one movie to another, but there is this feeling of cat and mouse uh, and maybe somebody who's not quite in their, in their field of expertise yet. And it, it reminded me a little bit of Catch Me If You Can uh, in the fact that you've got this guy going after this new crime and he, you know, he's at his wit's end trying to, uh, uh, trying to catch up. Well, yeah, I mean, that in the, in the design of the film, I think it was here you have these two characters that are on these opposing arcs, right? They're like two missiles that have been launched at one another, and you're waiting for the Im impending kind of collision between them. And for me, that was the fundamental dramatic tension of it. And once I knew that it was going to be um, primarily a two-hander between Jason Clark's character and Nick Robinson's character, Ross Ulbricht and Rick Bowden, um, suddenly there was a a strong internal structure to it, and I think kind of a driving propulsive narrative. Jason Clark is an amazing actor. I've, I've followed his career, and I think this arguably could be his best performance. He's uh, he Jason is absolutely amazing. And it, and it was such an honor and a pleasure to be able to work with him. He's like, I felt like it was getting a chance to sort of stand next to this thoroughbred racehorse. And literally from, you know, moment one, when he walked on set, I just thought, wow, this guy is at the very top of his game. Um, and it was so compelling. You know, he's so intense and so thoughtful. And so even when he's doing very little, he's so commanding. Uh, and it was just an absolute pleasure to collaborate with him. I think I can't wait to have the opportunity to do so again. Was there an audition process or, or did you want Jason from the get go? It, well, I, I, I have loved and adored Jason for a long time and for years have wanted to work with him. So when he was, uh, you know, when he was um, excited enough to say yes, I thought that's my man and, uh, and saddled up with him right away. Yeah, your cast is, is uh, you know, very rarely, and I, I don't say this often, everybody is spot on in the roles that you've chosen. I mean, they, they really are those characters, and that, that, was, that was a great uh, moment uh, for me as a film critic to go, wow, everybody is so believable. 
It felt very fortuitous to it was like one amazing cast member after another came to, uh, you know, to board the film and starting with Jason and then Nick and then Alexandra Ship, Daryl Britt Gibson, um, Jimmy Simpson, you know, on Paul Hauser, who's absolutely amazing. Put that guy in anything. He's brilliant. Um, you know, Lexi Rabe and Katie Azelton. It was just it felt like it was kind of a gift from the cinema gods as one great actor after another boarded it. And then suddenly it becomes a, you know, while it is primarily and centrally a two-hander, you have this amazing um, ensemble cast around him. And I just felt so grateful to, to have the opportunity to collaborate with so many great people. Um, the research that went into doing this had to, had to have been a big, a big deal. It's the research is intense. Um, and as somebody who goes back and forth between, you know, nonfiction films and narrative films, films based on true stories, um, my process is kind of similar in the sense of whether I were doing this as a documentary or whether I were doing this as a feature film, the first step is to wade into all of the existing research materials that are out there. And in the case of Silk Road, there was a vast archive. There was um, all of you know, everything that had been entered into evidence in the court cases, there was all of the, there were all of the articles which had been published about it. And, and in the case of Ross, what was so fascinating is he had left these breadcrumbs of his story. He had um, written his public posts as Dread Pirate Roberts. He had um, written diary entries, which were on his laptop, which were confiscated after he was arrested. Um, there were the chat logs between DPR and Knob. And so there there was this very rich historical archive to draw from. And so I kind of waded deeply into that. And then at a certain point I said, okay, now I'm going to set it aside and sort of pour myself into the movie so that it feels um, very personal. And um, I can put myself in the shoes of those folks uh, and sort of attempt to penetrate and understand it from the inside. He was a bit of a, uh, an egotist, you know, being, being in something that you have to be clandestine about, he wanted people to know that he was doing it. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. There, you know, there is a kind of an arrogance and a hubris to the character. You know, he was used to being the you know the smartest guy in the room, and frankly. Um, you know, wanted to change the world, wanted to beat the system. And for a minute there, for a hot minute there, he, he was doing so. But it's, 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 it's one of those kind of classic stories of like fly too close to the sun and your wings melt off. And, and I think that's very much what happened to him. It's almost a Frankenstein story in, in that regard. You know, the monster, he, he created this uh, invention. And then by the end of it, the monster was grabbing him by the throat. You know, I don't live too far from where all this, you know, took place in Utah. And uh, uh, it was when it broke, um, people here were just stunned because they couldn't believe that this would happen in such a small little town like Spanish Fork. Well, that's what's so interesting, I think, about the story in some ways. And frankly, the technology, what happened was in, in, in the sort of weird criminal genius of the of the of the invention was suddenly you had the anonymity of the Internet. You had 
um, cryptocurrency driving it as your engine. And so anyone anywhere could be a dope dealer, a dope consumer, a supplier. And so suddenly it was in all of these towns, suddenly it was in Spanish Fork, Utah, and you have kind of the wheels of the justice system kicking down doors and, and affecting raids. And I think that's why it was so um, uh, arresting and scary, frankly, for, for law enforcement, because it changed the game overnight. It's such an engrossing story. And the, and the, and the more you start peeling the, the more layers there are in, in, in to how everybody interacts with everybody in the story. Well, and there's there's an interesting layer of kind of the imminent corruptibility of everyone. And so the, it's sort of as these different characters wade into deeper into the story, people all begin with their you know, their righteous or well-intentioned motives, but something about the power of the, the medium and, and the Silk Road kind of begins to corrupt and dissolve all these people's lives. In our final uh, moments that we have together, congratulations on Night Stalker on Netflix. Amazing Thank you. Documentary. So that was uh, it was it was interesting. You know, I was doing both these projects at the same time, uh, juggling Night Stalker for Netflix and Silk Road for Lionsgate. And it was um, sort of fascinating and kind of a weird cognitive dissonance to be dipping back and forth from 1985 to, you know, 2011 to 2013 in these in these sort of respective crime stories. But I think probably in some way or another, at least subconsciously, they, uh, you know, they cross pollinated each other. You, you've managed to kind of uh, cross genres too. You, you, you know, it's documentary drama is is not an easy thing to accomplish, but you you seem to uh, revel in it. Well, there is a, I think, kind of a fascinating richness to the underworld and to these crime stories. In a weird way, I sort of feel like all of my work is like, it's kind of all the same movie. There are different chapters in it, whether it's The 7-5 or Operation Odessa or Night Stalker, The Last Narc or Silk Road. In some way or another, all of these are explorations of the underworld and the thin and sometimes porous boundary between cops and criminals. What's up next for you? Well, I'm actually adapting uh, my documentary Operation Odessa to do as a feature film. Wow. So that's next in the queue as a movie and, and a whole handful of interesting nonfiction projects, too. Well, again, it's Silk Road, uh, Lionsgate. It's streaming everywhere. Everywhere. Um, uh, it drops on February 19th. So we'll uh, we'll be sure to uh, uh, to make sure people watch it. I saw it. And again, I was blown away by all the performances and. Uh, your use of angles and cameras and just the way that you inform your audience about what's going on too is just masterful. Well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm glad that you found it compelling and I appreciate you taking the time and having me on. Have a wonderful day and, and, uh, and, and take care. Take care. Stay safe out there.